Uh, great. Well, first of all, Simon, thank you for your warm welcome. It's great. Uh, it's great to be here. And, um, and don't believe him. I'm sure you don't. That, you know what I'm going to say. No, no, don't. That's a good, that's a good. Don't believe your pastor. Um, no, no, don't believe him when he's... Don't believe him when he's... He's not the poor relation in the group, you know, in terms of... He was talking about coming to the group. Yeah, he's not the poor relation in the group. Uh, he's an amazing minister. I'm sure you know that. And you're blessed to have him. Uh, you're blessed to have him here. And uh, it's, great, it's great that... Uh, all the gang are coming down. How come all this year? Just you thought you'd get, get, them, get them all in? Yeah, yeah, we're just sort of on a roll. On a roll. On a roll. Yeah, great. So, um, what, what, what we're going to be doing, the, the, the title um, that, that Simon gave me, actually, which I've decided to go with the title, which oh, is good. good. Yes. Um, power, power to be witnesses, as you can see. Does that look like me? No. 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 Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was my um. I had a midlife crisis and bleached my hair. That's what that, that was. Well, you know, some people, you know, do other things. I thought bleaching your hair is kind of mild. Isn't it? Um. So anyway, so so what we're thinking about the title is uh, power to be witnesses. Jesus calls calls us to go and make disciples. Uh, so obviously, go and make disciples. Um, those, those words will be familiar to uh, many of us, perhaps all of us, in terms of from the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, where Jesus, his famous last words to his disciples, sometimes called the Great Commission. Um, um, but how, how do we do that in a culture that has rejected its Christian uh, roots? So this nation, as uh, many nations in the West uh, founded on Judeo-Christian principles, uh, but we're, we're in a post-Christian paradigm. We're just chatting about that. We need to wake up and smell the coffee and realise that that's the case and not labour under the misconception that somehow we are still a Christian nation. Uh, because we're not, so we better get used to it. Uh, a, a, Christian, a culture that's rejected its Christian roots and it thinks church is irrelevant. That's mild. Um, often that they see it as a toxic brand, not just irrelevant, but actually perhaps a form of toxicity now. Mm. And, um, um, and uh, so that's what we're basically going to be uh, thinking about. And um, power to be witnesses is, um, the, the, that's a, um, a phrase that's from um, a different text, which is this one here. Um, the acts, basically the acts of the apostles. So the two the texts that we're going to be thinking about uh, tonight and tomorrow morning, there's two talks, um, are these, these two. So the, the Great Commission, uh, where Jesus said, verse uh, 18, uh, the last chapter of Matthew, um, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey Everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So this, this uh, famously called, oh, well, it says it, says, says it there, obviously the, the titles are not in Holy Writ, they're not in the original Greek, uh, but they were put in by editors later. But the Great Commission, famously called the Great Commission. Um, and yet, uh, the Great Commission has become, for much of the contemporary church, uh, the Great Omission. It's a thing that we do not do for a whole, for a whole variety of of reasons, uh, so we're thinking this weekend. You know, how can we um, uh, forget the great omission, the thing that we're not doing, and get back to the great commission? And it's it's the commission of all Christians, not just evangelists. We're going to come to that in a minute. And then the other um, verse that's referred to here, the, of course, is Acts chapter one, uh, where um, uh, Luke says, "In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began uh, to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven." after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And uh, that's interesting right there, that I'm convinced, I think I've been for many, many years, but I'm more, more and more convinced that the essence of Christianity is the kingdom of God. Um, it's, we're called to be a kingdom people. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom in his incarnate form when he, when he became a human being 
um, in his in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so, uh, uh, so this is this is uh, uh, what uh, what said there. Then he presented himself. He gave them many proofs. Um, uh, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And then for one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, uh, but wait for the gift my father has promised, uh, which you have heard me speak about. Uh, for John baptised with water. But in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And then he gathered, uh, then they gathered around him and they asked him, uh, Lord, um, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And, uh, and then verse seven, it's not for you to know about dates and times. The father set in by his own authority, but you'll receive power uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, even to the very ends of the earth. So those are t- the two sets of verses that we're going to be thinking about in these three sessions. Now, if we're looking at the programme, then we've got tomorrow night, which is, um, it's, a, it's a kind of dinner, isn't it? A supper? Yes. yes and yes. Uh, an evangelistic event. So is it too late to invite people? No, 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 no. So do. So the amazing thing is, rather than just teach about evangelism, uh, which is important, we get to do evangelism. And I sometimes say that the easiest form of evangelism by a country mile um, is invitational evangelism. I mean, see, I mean, what, what you, you'd have to do, all you do is invite your, your friends, your work colleagues, your neighbours. You in, invite people along. So invitational evangelism, it's the easiest, it, it really is the easiest form. So, um, you know, to, to, we're going to have this meal tomorrow night. Um, you know, just uh, it's, it's still not too late. Often last minute invitations, I think, work really well because when you say, well, you come in three weeks time, people forget anyway. And uh, so actually it's not too late to do a last minute um, invitation. And I sometimes, there's a whole thing that I do on invitational evangelism, um, and uh, which we've no time to go into now. But I sometimes say that w- when I'm talking to pastors, if we're going to do a, a guest service, what we used to call guest services, like on a Sunday where we invite an evangelist in and, and uh, invite our not yet Christian friends to come along. Pastors, with the best will in the world, they sometimes say, bring your friends to church. And I, I exhort pastors, say, don't, don't, say, don't, don't tell the, the people, don't tell your people to bring someone to church. Uh, say to them, invite someone to church. Because if you bring someone to church, well, first of all, bring. I mean, how do you do it? It's kind of, what are you going to do? Are you going to kidnap them? Are you tie them up in rope? Put them, put them in your boots? Put them in the boots? Right, you're up to the church. You, know, you can't bring them. Can you? Uh, but you can invite them. And the, but, the, but the main reason is, uh, I say, to, to use this language, invite people, is that if you say bring someone to church, if you invite someone and they don't come, you feel you failed. But actually, if, if, if you say invite someone to church, you, in, you succeed as soon as you've issued the invitation. And that's what I want to get home to people, is that um, we issue the invitation. God is the evangelist. God is the, God's the great evangelist. He's the one who draws people to himself. And so actually you invite people, all you need to do is say, hey, you know, there's a thing on tomorrow. We've got this crazy vicar or whoever you want to call me uh, who's coming to speak. I heard him on Friday night. It was all right. A bit funny. Maybe not. But, um, you know, you, you issue the invitation and you succeeded. Um, you know, so, so, you know, you might invite uh, three people and no one comes, but you've actually succeeded because you've issued the invitation. And uh, so that's what I'd, I'd exhort you to do. Invite, you know, don't bring anyone tomorrow night. It's not in your power to do so. But you can invite people. Even, even last minute invitations work. Sometimes... They work the best. We've got that invitation thing tomorrow night. And then Sunday morning, we've got uh, the late, late breakfast. And um, is, that, is that for guests as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's going to be an invitation. There. There's two opportunities then. So um, one tomorrow night and one Sunday morning. So what I'll do tomorrow night is it will be specifically geared to, um, to people who are not Christians. So it will be, the genre really will be like an after-dinner talk. So it's not going to be a sermon. Um, it's, it's going to be like an after dinner talk. So it's going to be high grace, high humour, uh, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. So it'll be a fun, a fun talk with the gospel uh, weaved in. It is not a sermon. What on Sunday morning it will be um, is it will be a kind of expository format. So I'll be teaching the Bible, but with an evangelistic edge. So obviously doing that because obviously the saints need feeding, don't we? It's not, you know, so uh, it'll be teaching the Bible in an expository way, but um, with, an, with a, an evangelistic uh, edge to it so so hopefully we'll get fed christians will get fed but it will be have definitely have an evangelistic edge so do feel free to invite not bring uh your friends so that's two opportunities so do do um spread the word and anyone who's not here tonight um you know spread the word in terms of those two possible invitational 
uh, things. But tonight and tomorrow morning is, is training stuff. We're thinking about um, uh, training. So let me say a little bit first about me. Uh, oh, yeah. So this is Kingfisher, Kingfisher Ministries. So I, I've been ordained, uh, revved up, I sometimes say, for uh, t- how long? 26 years now. 26 years. I got ordained in Oxford Cathedral. Um, where were you ordained? Yeah, where we where was oh, that? Durham, Durham, Durham Cathedral. Because you nicked you nicked one of the Anglican vicars for your pastor. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. Yeah, yeah, you lured him in. You lured him in to the to the to the. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, and uh, so I, I got ordained twenty six years ago in Oxford, and I've done a whole variety of uh, jobs after my curacy. Uh, I went to be a... Uh, so basically, I've never been a vicar. And, but this confuses people. But by the vicar, officially speaking, is the senior pastor of a congregation. So I've never been a vicar, a senior pastor uh, like Simon here. And that's because my, my two twin interests, passions, giftings, have been theology. Don't let that put you off. And evangelism. That, both actually, either of those could be perfectly... You know, put, put, put people off. Uh, a theologian. So I've, I've taught in various theological colleges... Um, more, more, more recently, Wycliffe Hall, Oxford University. Uh, before that, when I was up in York, St Hill's Theological Centre, London School of Theology, that was London Bible College when I first started. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a practical theologian or a, an applied theologian. Uh, some people say I'm a missiologist. That's a theologian who specialises in mission. Um, but the definition of a theologian is, that, is this. A theologian is a person who is answering questions that nobody is asking. I don't know if you heard that one. Um, so, so, so people think theolo- theology is irrelevant, and a lot of it is, to be honest. But I'm a practical theologian, and so hopefully that is relevant. And my area of, of, of expertise, if you like, or certainly my passion, is to do with mission. And the other area, so, so, so I'm a practical theologian, and I'm an, an evangelist. And uh, so my passion is, as Simon has already said, to introduce people to um, Jesus Christ. And uh, I do that through preaching. Uh, by far, it's, I, I'm privileged over the years, it's, it's into the thousands of people that I've been privileged to lead to the Lord. Um, at the moment, I lead people to Christ every week, I mean, because I'm doing the work of an evangelist full time at the moment. And uh, most, of, most of those people have been through preaching, as you might expect, but uh, lots and lots through personal evangelism. So I'm committed both to the public proclamation of the gospel and also the uh, kind of one-to-one gossiping of the gospel or you know just personal evangelism whatever you want to call that so uh, i've uh, so i was what, what so a curate first of all then i went to be a prison chaplain in bristol and i was the senior chaplain and there was something of a revival happened there were 500 young men who gave their lives to christ in a space of two years it was extraordinary it's the only time i think i've been caught up in a, a what you might call a revival that word is overused um, uh, it was hmp yoi ashfield which is a young offenders institution uh, just outside Bristol. It was brand new. So when I when I went there, did you work for the, any of you work for the? Well, he's asking if I was if I was incarcerated there. Oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, right. You were not right. Yeah. yeah. I don't recognise you, sir. But, uh, you've grown a beard since you were a young offender, obviously. Um, so uh, so that was an amazing time. Then I, then I had my first lectureship at London Bible College. Uh, it's changed its name to London School of Theology now. And after that, I went to be a chaplain of one of the Oxford colleges, Pembroke College, Oxford. And Pembroke College, Oxford is where um, George Whitfield was an undergraduate. And it's where George Whitfield was converted. Uh, so uh, obviously, they're all versed in the, count, the, the, the history of the denomination, are they? Or, that you're, or maybe not. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're all good Calvinists, are you? If that's not uh, an oxymoron. Because I should say you're all... You're all... Let's not bring that up. No. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Because yes, of course... Yes, because good Calvinist is an oxymoron. It should be totally depraved Calvinist. Of course, sorry, I'll spare the theological jokes. Anyway, we'll, 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 we'll park, that, park that one. But anyway, the, 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 so George Whitfield, as you know, he, he, was, the, he was the kind of... The, the founder, if you like, of the Countess of Huntington... Uh, group of churches. So he was an undergraduate at Oxford. Wesley was across the road at Christ Church. And Wesley got converted later. In fact, late Wesley, as you know, not only after he'd stopped being a student, it was after he was a priest, uh, an Anglican priest, Wesley got converted. But Whitfield actually got converted when he was an undergraduate. And uh, it's, it, he talks in one of his writings about dancing down the stairs and going into the college chapel 
to give thanks to God for his salvation. The college chapel um, was then St. Aldate's Church, Oxford, because the college didn't have its own chapel then. That was built 100 years after uh, uh, Whitfield left. So what is the parish of St. Aldate's, Oxford, where I was also on the staff, uh, was... was, uh, was, was, was where he was. So anyway, so I was chaplain there at Pembroke College, Oxford. Then I moved next door to be the Oxford pastor chaplain at St. Aldate's Church. That was basically the student, part, the student chaplain at St. Aldate's, Oxford. Um, and um, after that, I went back to London School of Theology to head up a thing called the Centre for Missional Leadership. Um, and then from there, and I've moved around a lot. You're probably thinking, this is a, this is a lot, isn't it? <laughs> and I've never done a job more than five years. So, uh, and... Uh, um, anyway, and th- then I went to join the staff of a church in York called, called St. Michael of Belfry, which is a big, big Anglican church in York, where you may have heard of a guy called David Watson was the vicar. David Watson really put that church on the map um, as, 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 as the vicar there. And then from there, from St. Michael um, Le Belfry, um, uh, uh, what did, what did, what's my, oh yeah, from there, so, so Oxford, Oxford, I was a le- lecturer at, at uh, Wycliffe Hall Oxford University. And that brings me to my present job. So I, I stopped being a lecturer at Wycliffe Hall Oxford University uh, at the end of last year. So from January the 1st, I started this thing called Kingfisher Ministries. And Kingfisher Ministries uh, is a trust and it employs me to do four things. One, to do evangelism. Uh, two, to train the church in evangelism. That's all Christians. We're all called to evangelism. Uh, and that's what I'm be basically doing today and tomorrow morning. That, that number two. Number three is raise up an army of evangelists. Those are the Ephesians 4.11 evangelists. Uh, not all of us are evangelists, but some of us are. And number four is mentoring and coaching leaders. So uh, that's what I'm doing now. And um, um, I'm absolutely uh, loving it and uh, uh, really, really enjoying this particular phase of life and ministry. This is, uh, this is my family. Uh, uh, so Tammy, my wife, um, here on the right, she's a medical, medical doctor. And um, uh, we live in Whitney. That's in the Cotswolds. That's actually in Chipping Norton. And uh, we, live, we live in the Cotswolds, which is in the kind of West, basically the West Oxford, Oxfordshire Cotswolds. And uh, this is Anna, uh, who's here. Put your hand up, Anna. And, uh, and this is Trinity uh, ne- next door. So Trinity, is, her name is Trinity Isabella. Uh, so that means dedicated to the God who is Trinity. So obviously, it's a bit of theological names for my kids. Anastasia, why are you called Anastasia, Stacey? It means resurrection. But why did we call you Resurrection. Because you were born at Easter, yes, exactly. So she was born. Anastasia was born at Easter, and uh, so hence, hence we've called her Anastasia, which is the Greek word Anastasia, uh, res- res- resurrection. And um, uh, basically, um, we we uh, we we've got two young children, so it's difficult. All of you, those of you know, who've most of most of you sure had uh, kids, it's it's uh, difficult and challenging, isn't it? Trying to bring them up in the in the fear and the knowledge. Of the Lord, but that's what we're trying to do as Christian parents do. And uh, so, from the early age, I tried to catechise my children. And when we were up in Yorkshire, so my last job, we were we were up in Yorkshire, and Anastasia and Trinity, um, they were born in Watford. But we, but shortly after we they were born, we moved up to York, Yorkshire, and um, they developed Yorkshire accents as they would, you know, of course. And so they used to sort of speak a bit. You know, you did, you did. What? We went to, okay, we went to America for four months. Then we went to, went to York, sorry. Anyway, but they developed... Four months in America. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Four, she, that's the bit she remembers. So we went to York, Yorkshire, and uh, they were saying, bus, daddy, we need to get the bus, and things like that. And uh, I was trying to... Anyway, I was catechising the kids. Um, and once, one day, there was, there was a young minister. I do mentoring. This young minister came round. And Anastasia, she was very little. It's important to say that. This was when she was very little. What would you be, about three? Or something like this. I can't remember. She was very young. And I basically thought I'd demonstrate to this young minister how I was catechising my kids. And so I said to, I said to Anastasia, uh, age three, uh, I said, Anastasia, um, um, what, what happened, you know, what, how does a person become a Christian? And she says they turn to Jesus. She said they accept Jesus into their life. And I said to her, what happens if someone doesn't accept Jesus? That was my question next. But what, what happens if someone doesn't accept Jesus? And she said, they go to hell. Um, uh, she said... And um, anyone who knows, that if you knew what Hull is, you know. Yeah. And uh, so she was wrong, but maybe she was right, actually. I don't know. Um, but anyway, proud of my little girl. Um, uh, we we, we, we uh, being, Ang- being Anglicans, um, we, we, uh, we sometimes try to keep Lent in a kind of 
roundabout way. And for Lent, uh, the whole family gave up, gave up sweets and uh, no, gave up chocolates. That was it. It was just gave up chocolates. And um, I, didn't, I didn't manage the whole 40 days. But anyway, there we go. But uh, we, gave up, we gave up chocolate. And then one day, there was a little voice in the back. And it was, I was driving along. And Anastasia said, I'm giving up sweets, not just chocolates. She said, I'm giving up sweets. And then she said this. She, and I said, well, why is that, darling? And she, and she said, because he gave up everything for me. And uh, that touched my heart. That did. That touched my heart, love. That uh, he gave up everything. And that's true, isn't it? Jesus, the Lord Jesus, he gave up everything for us. That we might be free. Uh, okay. Um, one of the things on the spiel on the table there, it says uh, about losing our Judeo-Christian... Well, it doesn't say that, that's me using it. Whatever it says, moving away from our Christian roots. Uh, so we live in a time of confusion, don't we? Uh, and I was just... This was in um, Los Angeles Airport um, a, few, a, few, a few weeks ago, anyway. A few, a few weeks ago, and I, um, I, I took a photograph of... This is a normal secular bookshop. This isn't a Christian bookshop. It's a normal secular bookshop in the airport. It was in Los Angeles International Airport. And uh, I thought this is interesting. I thought I took a photograph because I thought this is a snapshot of where we're at as a society. So look at it. So what you've got here is uh, Timothy Keller. That's probably the, one of the few sound, if I can say that. Do you know, we all know Tim Keller? Yeah. yeah, it's one of the few sound books in there. Timothy Keller, Making Sense of God. Um, Adamant by John Bevere. He's well, sorry, he's sound too. He's a, he's, a Pente- he's from a Pentecostal background. Jesus by uh, Deepak uh, Chopra. So he's, this is Jesus from a completely non-An Eastern perspective, not a religious. Uh, Faith by Jimmy Carter. He was the President of the United States. He's a kind of liberal Southern Baptist now. Uh, Don't Drop the Mic, T.D. Jakes, who's an African-American bishop. But a lot of self-help stuff as well, like finding time. You know, we're, we're busy, aren't we? The modern Western world, totally busy. So not surprisingly, book on... Anger, anger management. Um, you know... How many of us need books on anger, anger management? So the, you know, there's anger management there. Uh, the women of the Bible. So that's a good bit with a bit of a feminist thing. I'm not criticising that. I'm just saying it's interesting that... And sacred women. This one looks a bit, bit new agey. Queen, whoever Queen Afua is. Queen Afua has written one about sacred women. But you know, there's obviously that feminist twist. The heart of the Buddha's teachings. Bit of Buddhism in there. Uh, Benny Hinn. I don't know whether you heard of him. He's a kind of prosperity preacher. Uh, what's this? Oh, Zen, Buddhism. Again, Zen and the art of saving the planet. Ecology, you know, environmentalism. That's a big, big thing in our society. Joyce Meyer, I don't know whether any of you into her, she's, she's kind of uh, quite into self-help, not criticising her, but she's quite self-help orientated. Oh, Your Best Life Now by Joel Osteen. And uh, again, I don't want to criticise him particularly, but Joel Osteen is on the kind of, you know, self-help side of things, I, su- I suppose. Uh, and uh, find it, well, I'm feeding the soul. What's that? Because it's my business, I don't know what that one's about. But to Owen Wild, oh, sorry, witchcraft. There you are, a bit of uh, Rebecca Bayer, whoever she is. Uh, wild witchcraft. But you get, you get the point, it's, it's total syncretism, isn't it? There's everything mixed in there. Orthodox Christianity, with prosperity Christianity, with self-help, with witchcraft, which is overtly occultic. Um, world religions, feminism, environmentalism. It's, it's, all, it's all there, so... So just imagine if your average um, Joe Pagan uh, walks into a bookshop book and he, he, or he wants to buy something to find um, enlightenment. You know, it's, it's such a confusing world in which we live in. But this is the world in which, it, in which we are. I, 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 for one, have made a kind of promise, so to speak, to myself, not a promise, but you know what I mean? I, 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 not, not to complain, not to whine. So many, so many of us as Christians... Uh, we just kind of whine and complain. The fact is, we have to believe, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, as I take it we all do, I certainly do, is that, that God has caused us to be here on this planet, in this place, uh, for such a time as this. We have to trust the providence of the Lord, the goodly providence of God. And so I'm, I believe I'm on the planet uh, for such a time as this. And there are unique challenges, but there are also unique opportunities. And some of us as Christians, we always see is the problems you know, we just see the unique challenges. It's all we see, the challenges. Oh, look, you know, we, we, can, we can talk about all this, you know, whether it's feminism or witchcraft or whatever. We, we, you, know, we, we, you know, we think, well, look, all these problems. Well, that's, it's true. We've got unique problems in our day. But we've also got unique opportunities. And, and do we see a problem or do we see an opportunity? And so I think we need to have a positive uh, mindset, I believe, and actually uh, trust the sovereignty of God that he's caused us to be alive on planet Earth in this village, where, you know, wherever we live, for such a time, uh, for such a time as this, we think about witnessing. 
uh, the, our late queen, as we now call her, our late Queen Elizabeth. Uh, what an amazing witness she was, wasn't she? Absolutely. She clearly knew the Lord. I'm sure I, um, there, was a, there was a thread. I'm on a, I'm on a, a group uh, of, of evangelical ministers. And there was someone on this thread the other week saying, oh, but did she really know the Lord? You know, was she really a Christian? Well, anyway, uh, he can say what he wants. I, I think clearly she knew the Lord. I think one of the telltale signs uh, for a person, if they know the Lord, if they talk about Jesus, and, because Jesus is a swear word, um, for those who don't know Christ. And it's interesting that the present uh, King Charles, this is being recorded, isn't it? Yes, so the present King Charles, uh, God save the King. Uh, you know, it's interesting so, interesting, so far he's talking about faith, he's talking about the Church of England, he's talking about duty. He's not talking about Jesus. Now, notice the Queen in her Christmas Day broadcast, which, how many of you used to watch that? Mm-hmm. Oh, the first year we're not going to have one. This, 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 this Christmas is going to be sad, isn't it? She always talked about Jesus, didn't she? She always, no, it wasn't about just faith or even churchiness or God Almighty, although he is God Almighty. She talked about Jesus. I remember one year, her advisors told her she had to get a bit more with the interfaith programme. And she said something like, she said, you know, we live, she said, in, in an interfaith society and Christ, Christmas is a time of celebration for all faiths and none. And then she said, but for me, Jesus Christ. And I remember she just had that little bridge in there. But for me, Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, but for me. Here's one of the quotations. Billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. And I am one of them. Isn't that the very powerful words? You know, so she's not just speaking in abstraction. Millions of people, billions in fact, billions of people follow Christ's teaching. Um, but she says, and do you notice she says, and find in him the guiding light. She doesn't say find in them. She she's not saying find in them the teachings. Find in him it's personal. Uh, the guiding light for their lives. And I am one of them. So she's unashamed to say, I am one of them. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So the Queen was a tremendous witness. So she's a great example to, uh, to each one of us. Um, okay, so just looking through these. Uh, this is a kind of an introductory photos that I'm using. Oh, yeah, this was this. I put this on my Facebook today. Uh, I'm sure I speak for all clergy everywhere when I say I'm over the moon. With rapture and delight, the Cliff Richard calendar 2023 is finally out. Uh, some things really don't change. So we live in these changing times, but some things don't change. Cliff will live forever, won't he? I mean, he won't. He, won't. he can't die, can he? Uh, Cliff, well, surely. May the cliff live forever. It should be, you know, be set to music. Um, so uh, some things really don't, really don't change. And um, uh, so uh, why am I telling you this? I don't know, but anyway, I put this on my Facebook. <laughs> Uh, earlier, earlier today, and uh, uh, I forgot what I was telling you that. But anyway, okay. So churches are good for prayer, but so are garages and cars, mountain showers and dance floors. Churches are good for prayer, um, um, but 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 God is not contained. He's not to be contained in a church building. Church buildings, as you know, aren't even churches biblically. Uh, we know we know this is Sunday School One Hundred and One. The ecclesia means the gathering. We are the gathering, whether we meet in uh, Tesco's or open air or whatever. So uh, that's why some denominations, like well, well, Methodism, early Methodists, referred to them as chapels, of course, because they didn't want to call them churches, because the church is the gathering, it's the people, it's, the, uh, it's Sunday School 101. Um, and so we need to be a people, increasingly in this post-Christian paradigm, we need to be a people who are prepared to boldly go uh, where perhaps no one has gone before, uh, and take the gospel outside the four walls of the chapel or the church uh, so that we can be radical witnesses for Jesus, just like Queen, the Queen was. She, she could e- have easily thought, um, you know, I'm going to get criticism, as she did. Um, I live in a multi-faith society. I'm the, I'm the head. I'm, the, I'm the, the head of state of this multi-faith society. Um, you know, I can't speak up. But she didn't. She chose to take risks and to be a witness to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We are called, you and I, we're called to be uh, witnesses. And we're called to be witnesses uh, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Super, super, supremely, that's what we're called uh, to, be, to be. We're called to be witnesses to his resurrection. Now, we might say straight away, um, when Jesus said to that, you are my witnesses, he said to his disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. We, well, we might say, first of all, well, we're not witnesses in the same way those early Christians were. We're not witnesses to his 
resurrection. Well, it's true. Uh, we, we're not eyewitnesses to his resurrection. But we are witnesses in terms of those who've been incorporated into Christ experientially. We are Christians. And as Christians, we're incorporated into Christ, his mystical body, the church. But we're incorporated into him, the very, the very person of Jesus Christ himself. And we're called, we're called to witness as to what we have seen and what we have heard. Um, so we are witnesses to his resurrection. Not that we've seen the, res- the, the resurrected Christ with our eyes, but actually the risen Jesus lives in us. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And so we're witnesses to, to that truth. And we need to be prepared uh, to share that with anyone who might listen. So uh, I thought I'd start with a, with a, a bang up to date story. And that is uh, this, this morning I dropped off uh, Trinity and Anastasia at school. And I went into, um, into Whitney, where we live. We live in Whitney, to find myself a, um, a, a kind of dinner suit. Because uh, when I was speaking in Sydney Town Hall, uh, which was on Saturday, uh, just gone, uh, they, it was for an event called Prom Praise. And so they said to me, wear a, wear a, a dicky bow tie and a dinner suit. Now, I'd not worn my dinner suit for a while. And it was too big for me because over, um, Simon knows this, I, I slimmed down a little bit over, over COVID. Some people went the other way. So we went up, I went down, and uh, so I, I, I lost the wet. So this, this dinner suit, it was, it was like um, the trousers. I had to put my belt on to keep, you know, like a sack of potatoes. Uh, and the jacket was, um, it was too big for me. So the director of music of Sydney Cathedral is a, is a big, he's a, he's, a, uh, he's a big man. So I gave, him the din- I gave him the dinner suit. I said, here, you're fat. You can, you can, uh, you can have the dinner suit. And uh, so I left it with him. And I need a dinner suit because I do after-dinner talks. So I went in and I, to this charity shop and I found a dinner suit today. So I bought, I bought it. It was only 10 quid. No, 10 quid for the dinner suit. It was amazing. Anyway, then I went over to the, um, you know, the book bit, you know, where you can buy books. Yeah. And I saw this, this, um, I saw this book uh, that says 365 reasons to look on the bright side. And that caught my eye. So, it, you know, 365, one for each day. So basically, you know, one of these kind of motivational books that everybody's really into them these days. 365 um, Reasons to look on the on the bright side, and there's one for one for each each day. Um, um, here's number twenty eight. I've handed in my holiday request form. So there you are. That's you know. So basically, you know, I've uh, handed in my uh, holiday request form. So I've got a, I've got a holiday coming. Um, that's um, that's absolutely great. And um, and uh, oh yeah, I'm still alive. Yeah, that's one. So yeah, I'm not dead. So uh, you know, it's, it's kind of scraping the barrel, that isn't it, really? You know, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm still alive. You know, my children still like me. And uh, still like me, love? She's, she's, not, she's not saying. But anyway, so 365 reasons to have hope, basically, isn't it? That's what, that's what it's saying. 365 reasons to look on the bright side. Anyway, I went to the shop and there was two ladies who were working in this charity shop. And uh, I was there and I was wearing my collar. I know, I'm not wearing the collar for you, by the way. Um, I often wear the collar for evangelism. So uh, as an evangelist... When I, when I was a curate years ago, there was um, a couple in the church who used to work for a thing called Herbal Life. Mm-hmm. Heard of it? Herbal Life is, is this. I was on it for a while. This is, you know, when I used to try and lose weight. And um, Herbal Life is basically you have, you have these milkshakes for breakfast. And for, Has anyone ever done this? Anyway, you have breakfast. No one would admit it. Nobody would admit it. Fair enough. Herbal Life. You used to have this Herbal Life bre- shake for, for breakfast and then a Herbal Life shake for lunch. Uh, and then you had a, a meal in the evening. And the lady who was the rep, the rep, who was a lady in our church, who was a rep, that was her job. She was a, a rep for Herbal Life. And she used to have a T-shirt that said, lose weight now, ask me how. And uh, so she, she'd go around and, it was, you know, and it said it on her car, lose weight now, ask me how. And people would, they'd go, how do you lose weight? And she'd tell them. So I thought being a young evangelist as I was, I was in my 20s then, I thought, what a great idea. So I had a T-shirt made and it said, Find God now, ask me how. That was my, that was my T-shirt. And I used to go on holiday, which my wife would go mad at. She said, you're on holiday. Doesn't, doesn't mummy tell daddy off? Yes, for evangelising on holiday. Anyway, so I used to go around with this T-shirt on. Find God now, ask me how. And some, anyway, then, it's, it basically, it took me a while to realise, because like a lot of evangelicals, I was, to all things clergic, I was allergic. 
And so I, did, I, didn't, I didn't used to wear the clerical collar. But it took me a while to realise, by wearing this, it's, it's a way of saying, find God now, ask me how. Because it's in the same way, people... Do you know our cathedrals are so busy? So Anglican cathedrals, the old ones. Because uh, the congregations are huge. York Minster, I used to be a vicar next door to York Minster. And they got 500 on a Sunday, York Minster. Oh, at Christmas, they'd get thousands through the door. Thousands. Now... Why everyone would go to York Minster because it was an iconic building and they thought they, that building can help me find God. And um, let me not say anything personal about York Minster, but what I would say is this. Most cathedrals are staffed by clergy who probably are not very good at helping people find God. That's, that's me being polite. Most clergy, you know, the, the kind of clergy who work in cathedrals, generally, generally, are the kind of vicars who perhaps are not that good at pointing people to Jesus Christ. And, um, and so I, I suddenly worked out that the, that the evangelicals, we tend not to wear this, but the high church boys do, um, and the liberals do. And I, thought, and I thought myself, gosh, the people who wear these are often the people who are least able to point people to God when somebody might ask to be pointed to God. So I, so I started wearing my, my clerical collar. Anyway, that's my justification. So, uh, so I, was, I was in the shop today reading this book, and there were two ladies there who were you know, working in the shop. Too, and I actually said to them, yeah, this is an interesting book. He said, well, I nearly bought it, she said. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, there's something missing in a 365, uh, you know, 365 reasons to look on the bright side. I said, there's, what, there's something missing. There's one of them missing. it." And uh, uh, she said, what's that? And I said, it's this. Jesus is risen from the dead. That's what I said. It's missing. Jesus is risen from the dead. And um, so she said, oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. She was, you know, interesting. So I said, do you believe that? To, the, to this lady, do you believe Jesus is risen from the dead? And she said, she didn't answer directly. She said, well, I believe, you know, I believe in God. I don't go to church anymore. Used to go to church. Don't go to church anymore. And then she told me a, a space ad story, uh, how her husband had uh, been uh, unfaithful and she got rid of her husband in the end and she's married to somebody else. But, you know, and uh, she said that story. And then the other lady, the lady who's the manager of the shop came over and she said, um, she said to me, uh, she, she started talking to me as well. And I said, oh, I was just saying to your colleague, your colleague was there. I said, you know, there's something missing from this book. I said, uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. So I said, okay. So she was, oh, oh yeah, yeah, same response <laughs> as you do. And, um, and I said, do you believe that? I said the same thing, do you believe that? And she said similar. She said, oh, you know, I do, I do believe in God. I do believe in God. But, you know, uh, you know and, and I've, I've needed to believe in God. And then she told me a really sad story about how her 16-year-old boy had taken his own life. Really sad story. Her 16-year-old boy had had taken his own life and she said you know so I do you know I do believe in God and I said you know has that you know has it not caused you to doubt God and she said well not really I you know I still believe in him that you know but it was obvious that both of these people were not Christians you know uh, they were theists now the- so a lot of people are in, in our country particularly people of a certain age and these ladies were about probably early 60s um, generationally, there's lots of people at that age who, 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 are, who, are, who, who might be what you call passive theists. So they're not Christians, they're not saved, they don't know Jesus, they've never been born again. Uh, passive, because they're not doing anything about it, they don't go to church, they don't pray, they're all the rest of it. But they're theists, they believe in God. And they're kind of Christian theists because they've grown up in this country. Now, sadly, those people are dying out, you know, in terms of a lot of our young people have no, no clue um, about the scriptures. Anyway, I, I was able to... Uh, um, I mean, I was able to talk to these. Uh... There they are. These are the two ladies. Um, and uh, uh, yes, I was I was surprised. And um, so so I, I was able to share the gospel with these these uh, two two ladies. And I said, look, do you want to give your lives to Christ? Having shared the gospel, I, I, I said to them that I travel all over the world. And I said, one of the commonest misconceptions is that we have to be good enough to be a Christian. And I said, you know, the classic stuff. Because I think one of them had said that to me, oh, I try and lead a good life, classic stuff. And I said, you know, it's not about uh, us trying to, trying to strive to be good. It's, it's accepting what Jesus has done for us on the cross, you know, the basic gospel. And then, and then I engaged the will. I said, look, would you, do you want to give your life to Christ? Now they could say no, but they both said yes. They both, they both said that they wanted to give their lives to Christ. So this morning I prayed with both of these ladies and they gave their lives to Christ. This lady here, uh, they both had an experience of God. This lady here said um, um, she had an experience of God and it made her think that she wanted to pray for her son, that he would know God. So we then prayed for her son, that he would come to know God. And this one here, uh, she just said, I feel love, she said. I just, I feel love. 
And uh, I, I didn't lay a hand on her or anything like this. It wasn't kind of like a Pentecostal prayer meeting. And, um, you know, I feel love. And I, I just said, well, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. So, so what is the fruit of the Spirit? It's sometimes defined as the indefatigable proof of the residency of God in the soul of man. The devil can counterfeit the gifts, but he can't counterfeit the fruit of the Spirit. And um, there are false gifts, but there's not false fruit. Love is love. And um, so it's, it's the indefatigable proof of the residency of God in the soul of man. It's the consequence, you know, you plant, plant apple seeds, you get apples. The Holy Spirit lives in someone and there's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. So, for the fact that, so I take that as a great token of the sign of God's presence, the fact that this lady gave her life to Jesus. And anyway, they've both added me on Facebook. And of course, I'm encouraging them now to uh, come to the church uh, where, I, um, where I minister. Um, so churches are good for prayer. Uh, but so are garages and cars and mountains and showers and dance floors. Uh, let's just um, put that off. So, so what we're doing um, over these three sessions today, uh, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow morning in these two sessions, uh, we're, th- we're thinking um, that the title for, the, for, the, for what we're thinking about is, is called Power to be Witnesses. So Power to be Witnesses, that's what we're thinking about. And um, the, the title of the three talks, the first one that is already underway, um, this, this, this is a rather grand meandering in, uh, sort of introduction. So, so tonight uh, we're thinking about Call to be a Witnessing People, that's the title of tonight. Uh, and then tomorrow um, is Called to be an Apostolic People, Called to be an Apostolic People, that's tomorrow morning. And then tomorrow late morning it's Called to be a People of Power. So there's so much in the scriptures just from these two readings um, these, th- well, th- these things are all there in the Acts 1 reading. Um, these, these things are you know, called to be a witnessing people, uh, called to be an apostolic people. That is, a, apostolos is the Greek word for sent, or God's sent people. And then um, tomorrow late afternoon, we're thinking called to be a people of power. Um, that is, how do we harness the power of the Holy Spirit? Because evangelism um, is not difficult I don't know whether I don't know whether you've ever thought about this. Evangelism is not difficult. Evangelism is is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's it's not just difficult; it's impossible. We cannot lead anyone to Christ. I cannot lead anyone to Christ. Evangelism isn't difficult. It's impossible without His empowering presence. That's the Holy Spirit, and so that's what we're thinking about uh, tomorrow. So often, people, when it comes to Christianity. Um, so often people in this post-Christian paradigm in which we live, where our Judeo-Christian um, moorings have, um, we've, 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 got, we've got unhinged from our Judeo-Christian moorings, um, most people's understanding of Christianity, of course, is a, is a misunderstanding. You know, a, bit, a bit like I was saying, the, the classic thing is what, what, what is a Christian, somebody who leads a good life, somebody who tries to... You know, maybe they, maybe they embrace vegetarianism. I don't know. You know, as somebody does good things or tries to lead a good life. There's so many misapprehensions um, out there about being um, a Christian. Uh, we were laughing, at, weren't we, about, um, what is it called, autocorrect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, autocorrect. So I basically, um, I, I wrote my sermon notes on, on here, which is why I switched them off so you can't see my, uh, my notes now. And do you remember I said uh, the first talk was called Call to be a Witnessing People? And then the second one, it was called to be an Apostolic People. Do you remember that one? Well, it, on my notes here, um, it, it, number two, it says, Call to be an Episodic Nipple. Um, that's, what it, that's what it says, my notes. Not called to be an Apostolic People. Called to be an Episodic Nipple. Um, this is PG-15 already, this talk, isn't it? PG-15. Good job, the little girl... Anastasia, well done for leaving the room at that particular point. It was uh, PG-15, so uh, you're only alone. Um, you know, oh, similarly, it reminds me of a, a similar thing. There was a, a, one of my favourite stories on BBC News was a, a news item um, from a few years ago where BBC News had spotted, somebody had told them, about this bilingual sign outside um, a supermarket in Cardiff. Cardiff, anyone Welsh here tonight? Anyway, the People's Republic of Wales. As, um, and, there's, and so in, in the past few years, Wales has got into doing bilingual signage more and more. And so basically, this was a supermarket sign. And it basically said no entry 
for heavy goods vehicles. That's what it said in English. And then underneath was the, was the Welsh. And now the problem is, they're into these bilingual signs, but not many people can actually speak Welsh in Wales. And so if you want a bilingual sign, what you do, there's an office in Cardiff, and you send it in English, and this person will, will, in the office in Cardiff, they'll, they'll give you in Welsh and then send it back. So, you know, they'll do a translate for you. And uh, anyway, the, the, this sign had been outside a supermarket in Cardiff for Wales, and it, in Wales, and it simply said, uh, you, know, um, super, you know, the supermarket, and then it said, uh, no entry for heavy goods vehicles. And then it said, uh, like this, basically in Welsh. I just made that up, but it basically, that was the gist of it. Sorry, some of you thought I was bursting into glo- glossolalia there. Did you think that? You were thinking no tongues without interpretation. Come on, you know the scriptures. Um, so uh, anyway, bas- basically, the reason this made BBC News is that because hardly anyone speaks Welsh, this sign was up for months before somebody realised uh, that, that basically what it said was, um, you know, no entry of heavy goods vehicles. And the, the, the Welsh underneath said, uh, I'm sorry, no one is in the office at the moment. I'm on holiday. Please send again later. So what it was, it was, an, you know, it was one of these automated replies. And obviously the person had just stuck it up. So basically what we've got, we've got a problem, brothers and sisters. Um, some things get lost in translation. You know, like called to be an episodic nipple. It got, it's, it's lost in, it's called to be an apostolic people. Um, you know, things can get lost in translation. So we mean one thing, but what people are hearing in our culture, what people are hearing in, in the society in which we live, um, is something entirely, entirely different. Um, so basically, we're called, we're called each one of us to be uh, witnesses. And uh, the first thing I'd... Um, some of these points are pretty quick. The first thing I'd say is this. We're called to be witnesses and not evangelists. So, so basically, all of us are called to be witnesses. Everybody in this room, we're called to be witnesses to the risen Jesus. We've already, that's, uh, we already got into this point. Um, but we're not necessarily evangelists. And the reason, is, the reason I'm making that distinction as an evangelist isn't to be elitist. It's not to say, hey, I'm in the, I'm the, I'm in the evangelist club, and you're not. Uh, quite the opposite. I actually think when... when when it's taught, as it sometimes is, that we're all evangelists, it's disempowering and not empowering. So Ephesians 4.11 says, he, he, that's the risen Christ, called some to be evangelists. Obviously, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors and teachers. Now, we don't say it about the others, do we? We don't say everybody is a, is a teacher, because that's blatantly not true. We don't say everybody's a pastor. Even most, many vicars are not pastors. Uh, it's, it's not true. So why, why do we say everybody's an evangelist? But we, we do. So somebody rang me up. The Methodist Church of Great Britain uh, just produced a report a few months ago, and it's called Everyone an Evangelist. That's the name of their report. So somebody phoned me up and they, as an evangelist person, and they said, hey, what have you heard about this report? And I said, yeah. They said, have you read it? And I said, no. And they said, what do you think of it? And I said, well, the title's wrong. You know, I don't even the title, because everyone's not an evangelist. Um, and now I know why people do that. They do that because they, what they want to do is mobilise all Christians into evangelism. But actually, um, if people feel that they've got to be like an evangelist, often it's disempowering. So let me give you an example. A friend of mine, Roger Simpson, who's a quite well-known evangelist in the Church of England, I got him in to speak at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford, when I was a lecturer there. He gave um, um, a, a brilliant session, and then we broke for coffee. Three rows back, there was one of my students who was in tears. So I went to her, one of the, she's a trainee vicar, I went to her and I said, what's the matter? And, and she just pointed to Roger and she said, I can't be like him. And the reason why Roger, like most evangelists, had been talking about how he'd led three people to Christ before breakfast. And a little bit like me talking about leading these people to Christ this morning. And she, she actually, far from feeling empowered, she felt, I can't do that. I can't do that. Do you see, it's disempowering. And so actually, as an evangelist, I go around saying to people, you don't have to be like me. If you're not an evangelist, you know, I'm, I'm an Ephesians 4 an evangelist. What you need to do is work out how you can best be a witness to the risen Christ. And it looks different for different people. So I want to set people free. We evangelists have often, you know, it's been like, you know, you know but we've all got, you know, uh, my, like my, my mum, she's like a travel agent for guilt trips. So, you know, sometimes she'll kind of, uh, you know, try and guilt trip you inadvertently. She doesn't mean to do it. And you get some evangelists, they're like that, they're like travel agents for guilt trips. You know, they'll, inadvertently they'll guilt trip people. Um, and and when, we, when we feel guilt, uh, we, we don't become effective evangelists. We actually evangelise less. So actually, you're called to be a witness. Uh, you're not necessarily called to be an evangelist. Although there may well be 
people here who are evangelists. Well, what is an evangelist? Really, evangelist is, is someone who has got a primary gifting um, in um, a primary gifting in, in communicating the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that, that people come to Christ. So if you're a witness, you may witness all the time, but you may not actually see people come to Christ. But if you're an evangelist, I think you will have the privilege at, s- at some stage in your life of leading people across the line from darkness into light. And, 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 and of course, if you're an evangelist, it doesn't mean you'll be a vicar. You probably won't. It doesn't mean you'll be a professional evangelist. You almost certainly won't. I've only become a professional evangelist, so-called, this year, January the 1st. Um, it's a gift. Evangelism's a gift. And, and it doesn't even mean you're a preacher. So you could, be a, you, could be a, you could be an evangelist, but you never actually get behind a podium like this. You have a gift of gossiping the gospel. So I know people who gossip the gospel at the school gates and they never preach. And yet they've got a, they, they share the gospel. They see people come to Christ. Those people, those women are evangelists. Um, and so, uh, um, so, so, so basically most of us here will be witnesses. Uh, there'll be some of us who are here who are evangelists. Uh, which means that you've got a primary gifting in evangelism, you know, communicating the good news in a way that brings people to Jesus Christ. Out of interest, put your hand up if you think you are an evangelist here. Anyone? Maybe nobody. But um, Simon, I presume. Bless you. No, don't worry. 10,000 10, blessings. Yeah, so you, th- you, th- you think you might be. Yeah. Okay, well, we should talk. It's not, a, it's not a, by the way, being an evangelist, some people think, or oh, is it boast? It's not a boast, it's a stigma. I can assure you it's a stigma. When I was at theological college, the vice principal used to say, bless you. Uh, I, was, I was just a preemptive, that was a preemptive, it was a preemptive, uh, it was a preemptive blessing. Um, the, the vice principal used to say, he used to say, I know the church needs evangelists. You just wouldn't want to have one round for dinner. That's what he used to say. Now, obviously, he was, he was joking, he was joking. But it was like a stigma, you know, these evangelists. You know, we know the church needs evangelists. You just wouldn't want to have one around for dinner. So, so basically, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like, it's not really a boast, really, because, uh, you know, I, I think evangelism is the gift that nobody wants often. often. So, uh, but anyway, so, so basically, your witnesses, you're, you're almost certainly, the rest of you, if, maybe three of us in the room perhaps are evangelists, but we're all called to be witnesses. Does it doesn't really matter. Okay, the second thing is, uh, a witness then, this is number two, a witness is somebody who speaks of what they have seen and heard. So when Jesus said, you are my witnesses um, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. That one is, the, that bit there is, is what we're doing tomorrow morning, which is called to be an apostolic people. You know, we're called to witness here, here and here, Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. Anyway, that's tomorrow. Um, but a, a witness, in essence, is somebody who is called upon to what you have sp- seen, to speak about what you have seen or heard. So, so first of all, it's to speak about. So basically, when we think of witness in the modern context, the, we think of a witness in a court of law. So who, is, who has had to be a witness in a court of law uh, here? I'm sure somebody has. No one? Uh, so if you don't mind saying, what did, what did, I mean, without going, what did you have to say? Was, did you witness a crime that you had to Speak about, or what was it? Did you? Okay. Okay, so it's to do with business. But you basically had to speak, obviously, what you knew. No barristers spoken for you. Okay, yeah. So you weren't called to the witness box yourself? I have been in the witness box, and that was just speeding. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And what did you say, sir? What did, what, in the witness box, what did you say? Did he? I was the fastest on the day. That's good. And uh, I think he got up to like 113 miles an hour. I got caught speeding at, and the, 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 bands were, the bands were going up and up, and I needed to keep my license. Yes. So she said, Get ready, I'm putting you in the witness box. Oh, wow, wow. So you basically had to speak of what? So I had to, yes, I you did? I had to. Yeah, you said, so you, you spoke of what you'd seen or heard, and you said, I saw it, I was in the I saw my foot on the pedal. <laughs> I, I, heard, I heard the revs of the engine. I did, I did. I, you, you, you incriminated yourself. So, uh, but basically, that's what a witness is. A witness, obviously, you normally don't incriminate yourself. You normally incriminate somebody else. But a witness speaks of what they've seen or heard. Now, that's the modern context. Now, what was the context in, in, in Jesus' day? In Jesus' day, 
It, we, they lived, we lived, they lived, it was a time of what's known as oral transmission. So basically things were passed on by words, word of mouth. And so in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, the way of establishing truth was, wasn't through written communication, because written communication um, was, uh, was very rare indeed, you know, in terms of papyrus was expensive and there were papyrus scripts, you know, when Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth, do you remember he, he opened up the papyrus script and he read um, uh, from Isaiah 61, uh, wasn't it? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. So, so basically written form was rare. It was very expensive, the papyrus, it was rare. Most people couldn't read anyway. Um, you know, so it, so it, so, so it was a non, it was a, it was, a, it was a non-literary culture. It was a, it was an oral culture. And so because of that, truth was established um, on the basis of two witnesses. So two, two people, if two people collaborated together and they both agreed, two witnesses, then it was, it was, it was viewed to be, it was viewed to be uh, true. Um, and actually, because, because it was very, very serious, therefore, if you lied, because obviously if you lied, you, the whole thing fell apart. That's why lying was a very serious offence. That's why lying in the Old Testament is do not bear false witness. You know, that's, that's the translation in the King James, not do not lie. In the King James translation of Exodus chapter 20, it says do not bear false witness. So to lie is to give a fraudulent witness. And that's a very serious thing indeed. And if, if you, what's more, in the Old Covenant, if you were to lie under oath, you were put to death. And the reason why, because they were trying to safeguard, you know, you better not lie. And that, by the way, we still have that today. Um, it, people aren't put to death, but people are put in prison if they lie under oath. It's called perjury. So, so it's a very certain lying. You can lie to your heart's content as long as it's not under oath. But if you lie under oath in a court of law, that's perjury and you get a prison for it. So that's the historical antecedent to what happened thousands of years ago where you were put to death if you lied under oath. Why? Because you had to preserve that two witnesses, if they, you know, you, it, it had to be the truth. It had to be the truth. So when Jesus says, you're to be my witness, you're, you're there to speak about what you have seen and heard. And so it's important that we tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So what we could say about this is don't exaggerate. Some Christians in their witness, they exaggerate. Um, do you know, evangelists like me, um, they sometimes have an, a, a, a reputation, oh, he's, he's exaggerating. I, I, I do not exaggerate. In fact, what I try to be is, cons- when it, I try to be conservative, if anything, you know, downplay it rather than over-egg it, because it's so important to be, if, if I'm an evangelist, I'm a herald of the truth. And some, have you heard the phrase, people might say, oh, if somebody's exaggerating, they say, oh, he's being evangelistic. Have you heard that? But basically, mean, meaning that, you know, they're exaggerating, they're being evangelistic. Well, isn't that awful, that evangelistic, from evangelism, evangelists have got a reputation for exaggerating. So people say, oh, he's being evangelistic, which is a conflation of evangelist and and, uh, elastic. That shouldn't be the case. So basically, we're to tell the the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We're to speak of what we've seen and heard. And obviously, in Jesus' day, that was very important to do that. In our modern context, you speak of what you've seen and heard to to incriminate somebody, um, or sometimes to incriminate yourself, uh, as is the the case here. Um, so, so we, we basically speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. So that's the call of every Christian. Now, I used to be a prison chaplain. And they used to, when I started as a prison chaplain, one, the governor said to me, he said, you're going to find um, that it's amazing that, you know, we've got these 400 lads in prison. There were 200 young offenders, 200 um, uh, uh, juveniles, 200 juveniles, 200 young offenders. And um, the, the governor said to me, you're going to find it amazing, Padre. Everybody's innocent. And it's true because one of the classic things in prison, it wasn't me, Gov. Yeah, I was, I was framed. I was, it wasn't me, Gov. Um, actually, I didn't find that. What I found is, as the padre, as the chaplain, they, they, often, they always, often confessed to me that they did do it. They said, well, I did do it. I did do it. But obviously they knew because I was a priest that you know, I wasn't going to say to anybody else. So, um, uh, so but, but basically, um, you know, the classic line with these young offenders is, it wasn't me, Gov. And, and also, they wouldn't incriminate their mates as well. So if, if they were... You know, it's honour among thieves. So you don't incriminate your your mates. So the classic line there was when if you know if you if you were, if your if your if your mate got done for robbery or something, you'd go. I saw nothing. I've seen nothing. That would be the classic line. I've seen nothing. Well, do you know when it comes to witnessing modern day Christians, they're like this. I've seen nothing. You know, we're called to speak and speak about what we've seen and heard, but modern Christians, it's almost like I've seen nothing. If you've seen nothing, you've got a problem. Um, your faith in Christ should be living, not just I gave my life to Jesus at a Billy Graham rally in 1953 or whatever it might be. It should be, I know that my Redeemer lives. Uh, I spoke to him this morning. Uh, you know, I've sensed him speak to me. 
Uh, I've, I've, I've experienced answered prayer. And so I sometimes used to say to the students, when you're giving a testimony, be shamelessly experiential. Now, that goes against our good evangelicalism, doesn't it? Particularly our Calvinism, maybe, um, where we think it's all fact, not feeling. It's all about doctrine. Well, I'm afraid that's wrong. It's not all about doctrine. I say to people that the Holy Spirit isn't, isn't a doctrine to be believed in. He's a person to be encountered. And so we need to experience God uh, because if, we owe the world an encounter with God. That's a, a quotation from an American pastor that I quite like. This American pastor says, we owe the world an encounter with God. What he means is we owe the world for us to have an encounter with God, not them. We owe that if we have an encounter with God, we owe the world, the non-believing world, an encounter with God. Okay, number three is that you need, as a witness, you need to be rough and unready. Not rough and ready, rough and unready. So when you think about your, your, um, um, your uh, performance in the, in, the, in the thing, I'm sure it wasn't a polished performance, was it? Oh, <laughs> okay, help me out! Help me out here. I think it was probably rough and ready, wasn't it, sir? Yeah, I think it was, sir, wasn't it? I think you find it was, sir. Uh, no, the reason why, because when you're a witness, it's not scripted. When you when you're called as a witness, you do not say, you know, you do, you know, you're, you're often invited on spec. What's your name? Rob. Like Rob, you're invited like Rob on spec, and so you don't have uh, on the night of the 16th of June. I was walking my way back from McDonald's, having had a Big Mac. And who did I see? You know, you, you, you literally, I said, what do you see? What did, oh, I was just walking home and I saw this car, you know, the headlights were coming on and there was a nun doing cartwheels and the, 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 the car hit the nun. She went backwards over the car. Whatever you saw, I, mean, I just made that up. But, you know, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you saw, it's rough and ready, isn't it? Um, uh, so, so basically you're called to be rough and unready. So it doesn't have to be polished. So a lot of Christians don't witness because they think it's not good enough. It's not polished. It's not, it's not professional. The whole point of being a witness, it's not supposed to be polished. It's not supposed to be professional. Do you remember that in history, there's Ethel read the unready? Well, you are called to be Ethel read the unready. In other words, you might not be ready. You're never, if you wait till you're ready, you're never going to witness. If it's rough and ready, it doesn't matter. Uh, and the beauty of testimony is that you can't argue with it. That's the, the beauty of, uh, of, uh, of, of uh, the power of a, of, of a testimony. What you're not doing is you're not saying, I believe in God for these three reasons. So that an atheist can come to you and say, well, let me now disprove God with these three reasons. What you're saying is my experience is this. Uh, you know, I have I have seen the risen Jesus, not physically. I wasn't around 2000 years ago. But you ask, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I know uh, Jesus Christ. It's my privilege uh, to uh, to know him. And it's my privilege uh, to serve him. When I was in that bookshop, I mentioned the bookshop at, uh, at uh, uh, Los Angeles Airport. I was on a layover. Um, this is before my Australian trip. It was the one before. And I arrived. I was, I was at Los Angeles Airport and I had to get my connecting flight. And it was 10 p.m. at night in Los Angeles. But for England, English time, um, it was the middle of the night. It was like 4 a.m. And I thought I'd better not go to sleep because, you know, I'd matched the eyes. But if... I thought if I go to sleep, you know, if I have a little nap, I might miss my connecting flight to Sydney. So that's why I went into that bookshop. Anyway, as well as seeing that array of confusing books that I just showed you before, there was also a section of children's biographies. And these children's biographies, they had a, a cartoon picture of the famous person on, and it was to try to introduce a, a kid into a famous life. And there was one that, uh, there was one that said, um, who was Mahatma Gandhi? Another one said, who was... Abraham Lincoln, obviously a famous American president. Another one said, who was Princess Diana? So obviously it was all in the past tense, but if there were one or two of them where the person was still living. So there was, who is Barack Obama? Because obviously President Barack Obama is still living. But there was one that had Jesus' picture on and it said, who was Jesus Christ? So obviously you've probably already spotted a deliberate mistake. So I picked up the Jesus Christ book and I picked up the Barack Obama book and I went to the man behind the counter called John. Jonathan uh, was an American. He's from the Philippines. Uh, so it turns out he's in his early 30s. And I said, John, there's a little bit of a mistake here. I was in a clerical collar, by the way. Um, I said, John, a little bit of a mistake here. He said, yes, sir. What is it? What's the mistake, sir? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But who, 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 uh, who, who is Barack Obama? Because he's alive. And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, and it says, uh, who, who was Jesus Christ? It's a mistake. I said, it should be, who is Jesus Christ? Because he's, he's alive. And he said, sir, I see your point. He said, 
Um, and I said, what do you mean you see my point? Uh, I said, do you, do you, do you know the kind of reflection? And, um, and he, he, he said, uh, yeah, I see, I, see, I see your point. I said, do you believe? And he said, well, he said, I'm from the Philippines. He said, originally, my, my, I'm, not, I'm from a Catholic background. Um, he said, uh, I've not been to Mass for a long time. Uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, he called me Father. He said, he said, I'm sorry, Father, I've not been to Mass for a long time. And I said, don't, don't, worry, you know, don't worry about that. The Roman Catholics, they've got a PhD in guilt. And um, I think I said that to him. And uh, I, said, I'm an, I said, I'm an Anglican priest. I said, uh, which is kind of like Catholic light. And, um, and, uh, and, 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 and although I'm reformed, obviously. And uh, so, you know, and but basically he, he said he wasn't a Christian. But he said, you know, funny enough, I went back to the Philippines a year ago because my granny died and she was a devout lady and she seemed to love God. And he said, that got me thinking, maybe I need to get back into it. And I said, well, maybe you do. Maybe you do. And I shared the gospel with this guy, Jonathan. I had the privilege to lead him to Christ. And as I led him to, to Christ, he, eyes, his eyes filled with tears. There was a queue of people by now at the, oh, no. waiting together. But his eyes filled with tears. And he just said, I feel peace. Interesting. Another fruit of the spirit. So the woman, woman this morning said, I feel love. Uh, she, she, she said. And he said, I feel peace. That, you know, that, um, love, joy, peace, patience gentleness, uh, self-control. So I said the same thing to him. I said, that's the fruit of the Spirit, John. That's a sign that Jesus Christ has come into your uh, life. And so you see, we don't need to, but both, you know, we, we, both those illustrations that I just shared, we know one, it all started from me saying, uh, something's missing, you know, uh, you, know, I, you know, the resurrection of Jesus. And also, you know, he's not dead, he's alive from the book. You know, that's just me, you know, but, but you know, we're called, to be, we're called to be witnesses. We're not all called to be evangelists, but we all, everyone in this room, we're called to be witnesses. We're called uh, to speak and we're called to speak of what we have seen and heard. And so basically, if, if, you, if, if your experience of God is a bit out of date, you need to get with the programme. And the great thing is this weekend is the perfect opportunity to do that. Because God is more willing to fill us with his Holy Spirit than we are to ask. God is more willing to answer our prayers than we are to pray. God is more willing to fill us with his love and his peace than we are to ask for it. If you'll do it for a brand new Christian, these are brand new people, these are pagans, if you don't mean to be unpolite, impolite. These are people who've just given their life to Jesus and God touches them by his Holy Spirit. You know, surely he'll do that for us. Well, he's, you know, we've been his, we, his, his children um, for, uh, for many years, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, so we're, witnesses called to speak of what they have seen and heard. And also we're called to have a testimony that is rough and unready. Don't wait till you're ready because you'll never be ready. Just speak of what, you know, just basically just trust God. And a bit like in a court of law, you know, it might be garbled. It might be off, you know, your honour, it was this, this and, you know, whatever. In, in a way, that rough and readiness or rough and unreadiness gives it authenticity. It gives it authenticity far more than if it's polished. You know, if it's like... You know, I gave my life to Jesus Christ in 1953, you know, whatever. Or, you know, wearing one of these, someone expects you to be a religious professional. So actually, the, 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 in a way, the, the amateurishness of our witness often compounds its authenticity. Now, it doesn't mean we're, I'm not saying be amateur for the sake of being amateur. But the, the fact it, it, it's just, it's, it's just raw, it's, it's organic, it's, it's, you know, that is, it, its power is in that. Its power isn't in it, isn't in it being a polished, a polished thing. Great, it's half past, uh, which is when I said we come into land. So we've no time for Q&A to, to tonight, I think, but we'll have it tomorrow. We'll have some Q&A tomorrow. Uh, so come with your questions by the bucket load. Uh, if I can't answer them, my daughter will. <laughs>